Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg, with WFIU News Bureau Chief Sarah Whitmire. This week, we're going to do an update on plans for transportation in Bloomington and talk about the general uh, idea of sustainable transportation. We have four guests with us joining us by Zoom. Beth Rosenbarger is Planning and Services Manager for the City of Bloomington, and she is the main contact person for the Seven Line. Lou May is General Manager of Bloomington Transit. Matt Flaherty is a Bloomington City Council member. And Austin Gibble is, is going to join us. He is joining us from Indianapolis. He is Transportation Planning Administrator for Indianapolis. And before that was an Indigo Project Developer. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition, and you can send us your questions there. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. Thank you all for being here with us. I know we've had some, I think three of the four of you have been with us before. Austin, welcome. You're you're our newcomer today. I want to uh, start with Beth Rosenberger. Beth, I, I know that you are very closely involved with planning for the the seven line, and could you just explain what that is and, and why um, it's sort of coming up in conversation these days? Yeah, sure. Thank you. So the seven line is a multimodal transportation project, and this phase of it goes from the B line running east to Woodlawn on campus, and it's all along 7th Street. Um, the project includes a what's called a two-way protected bike lane. And that means uh, people bicycling are separated from the motor vehicle lane with a protected physical barrier. So it's not just a painted stripe on the ground, but it's more um, just something concrete to, to help you feel and be safer. It includes pedestrian improvements, such as uh, improving curb ramps along the project so that they're all ADA compliant and accessible. And it also includes some raised crosswalks, which help with pedestrian safety and visibility as well. And um, we've worked with Bloomington Transit on the project to improve the bus stops along the project. And these will look um, pretty different on the south side of the street from other bus stops we see in town because they will be bus islands so that the bike lane will go behind the bus stop. Um, so that's kind of an overview of what it looks like, and I'm happy to tell you how it came about if you'd like that background too. Let's get to that in just a minute. I did, I did want to follow up and ask, so I looked at some of the uh, renderings today. It seems as if that um, the barrier between the, the uh, motorized vehicles and the bicycles, it looked like on the renderings it would be like a tree plot. Is that correct? So yes, that's correct in part. It varies throughout the project because the amount of right-of-way that the city owns varies through the project So um, or through the street. So in some parts, it is more like a median with space for tree plantings and such. And then in other areas, it's a bit more, uh, it's smaller and like a curb. So when there's more space available, we definitely use it to add some trees to to have more shade and tree canopy. And when there's less space, we have to go with the smaller separation. Okay, well, let's bring Matt in because Matt's a member of the city council. And um, I think this probably suits the city council pretty well in terms of overall goals for transportation in the city. A am I right about that? Uh, yes, of course. And thanks for having me on today. Um, the, the city council approved a package of bicentennial bonds. I think it was in 2018 or 2019 that included this project. And that's absolutely right that it helps us to uh, move forward and, and meet a lot of the goals that we have in our comprehensive plan around transportation, like improving the bicycle and pedestrian network, increasing sustainability, um, 
and improving public transit as well. Uh, and then also uh, this particular project is called out um, as a phase one project in um, our transportation plan, which was um, targeted to have a one to three year timeline of implementation. So I would say really this is uh, one piece of, of us uh, following through on the adopted city goals and plans that, that were developed as a community. And of course, you know, by elected officials and, and the experts at the city as well. So what is the timeline, uh, Matt? I mean, when do you think this will get started? You know, I would have to defer to uh, Mr. Rosenberger to, to answer that. I think <laughs> okay. um, I'm not sure what the final completion uh, timeline is for the project, but I think sometime in the next year or so. Okay, Beth, you want to answer that? Yes, um, we are planning to start construction right after IU graduation. So sometime uh, it won't start sooner than IU graduation, but as soon as possible after IU graduation. So possibly May 10th. Um, and I'll add with that, that we will be sending out letters to all the property owners and properties along the street and hosting sort of a pre-construction public virtual public meeting about the project on Thursday, April 29th at 5.30 p.m. And that information will be posted on our website. But just to, to let you know that there'll be more information about what construction will look like, especially for people uh, residing and having businesses along that uh, along that portion of the street. Okay. I think we'll have a, we'll have a few more questions about this uh, later, but I want to bring Lou May in. Uh, Lou's general manager of Bloomington Transit. So how will this affect the... Uh, bus lines that go from downtown and use 7th Street? Well, thank you for having me, Bob. Uh, I think it's an important development for transit in that 7th Street is an important transit corridor that we use at Bloomington Transit to connect the downtown area with campus. And of course, we have many students who are now living in the downtown area with uh, within the number of student apartment complexes that have been developed in the last decade or so. And students use transit in big numbers. And so this is the most direct path from the downtown area to campus. Uh, we have a major route that uh, runs down 7th Street and serves the Indiana Memorial Union bus stop, which is one of the busier bus stops and then goes up Woodlawn to 10th Street. One of the issues that, or one of the challenges that, that we've had with the 7th Street quarter in past years, of course, in, in parts of the quarter, we've had on-street parking. Uh, and in some places, it's on both sides of the street. And that tends to narrow the lanes. And over the years, we've had a number of minor fender bender accidents with parked cars there. Uh, again, with the narrowness of the lanes and parked cars on both sides, it, it makes for a challenge sometimes to get through there. So as we understand the design, uh, most of that on-street parking will be removed. That's going to eliminate that hazard that we have with parked cars throughout the corridor there and, and just make it a, a little safer and, and faster for the service to navigate the corridor. All right, Austin, we wanted to bring you on today because, uh, you know, Bloomington is not the only city in the state of Indiana. There are a lot of places that are dealing with um, transportation issues. And, you know, you are a transportation planning administrator in Indianapolis. And I know you have had um, efforts at sustainable transportation as well. So could you just uh, talk a little bit in general about what Indianapolis has been doing in this area? Of course. And first of all, thank you very much for having me on the show. I, I really appreciate the, the time uh, allocated here. Um, Indianapolis has been engaging uh, pretty heavily in our transportation future as it relates to public transportation, bikes, pedestrians, um, and as well as land use and development patterns. Uh, the Indigo public transportation system, uh, our local transit provider, uh, passed a referendum in 2016 for transit improvements. Um, that included the opening of our first of three bus rapid transit lines, known as the Red Line, that runs from Broderpool Village to the University of Indianapolis. Uh, and there will also be an effort to uh, restructure our local bus networks so it's less of a radial hub-and-spoke system coming in and out of downtown uh, and more of a gridded network of buses that are coming every 15 minutes or better 
uh, to facilitate trips uh, that are across town. Uh, additionally, we have uh, major plans as it relates to um, the bike in, or the uh, pedal indie bike plan, uh, as well as our thoroughfares plan. Do you have the protected bike lanes like this in, in areas of Indianapolis? Absolutely. We have uh, several miles of protected bike lanes uh, throughout Indianapolis. And we also have uh, what is known as the cultural trail, uh, which is our downtown protected bikeway network uh, that connects our major greenways and bike lanes from the outer neighborhoods into the city center. And what's been your experience with those? Has it been, um, you know, positive? Have any of the, uh, you know, concerns about them that maybe were aired beforehand come to pass or has it been a very positive experience? Uh, none of the, as far as I'm aware, none of the concerns about them, uh, have come to pass, um, where we do see that where we install protected bike lanes, there's a general increase, uh, in bicycling because they provide that safe, uh, experience, uh, a certain degree of comfort that those who may not be as experienced with riding bikes, uh, are introduced to. Uh, and they're also just a backbone of connective tissue that link neighborhoods to, uh, major business districts, uh, and job centers. Okay, thank you. We got a question from Amy on Twitter and Matt, maybe you can take this one first. The question is, how sincere is the city about improving bike use if they're also building a parking garage downtown? Uh, I think probably reasonable minds can differ on that question. Um, you know, uh, I think, let, let me pull up um, uh, a... Um, goal here from the comprehensive plan, which is to optimize public space for parking. Uh, to me, um, I, I do think we need to move away from uh, subsidizing single occupancy vehicle use and parking with public dollars uh, and moving to more of a market-based uh, pricing that is uh, charging what it will cost uh, to park. And that's not something we've done historically. Um, the decision to um, use TIF funding, uh, tax and commitment finance uh, funds for the construction of new parking garages uh, came before I was on council and I was opposed to that actually as a citizen. Um, and, you know, I think that's a, a reasonable question. I think um, the city's spending uh, reflects uh, our values and our priorities. And I don't think we always get it right. And that's an instance where I didn't think we did. Um, I think using things like transportation demand management and uh, more creative differential pricing of zones and or uh, the parking garages that we already had in existence probably could have alleviated the kind of few pinch points of of uh, constrained supply that we had. Generally speaking, um, we have plenty of parking downtown um, per per the studies that we've actually done. Uh, you can you can see that data, and I'll I'll tie this in actually to the seven line as well, which is that uh, you know Lou May mentioned that um, we'll be removing off some on-street parking on 7th Street. And I can, I can imagine that for folks who, who may not be a fan of bike lanes or, or um, transit prioritization, that, you know, that, that feels like a loss, uh, moving, moving those parking spaces. But in actuality, those spaces are only occupied about a third of the time. And there's also other spaces on neighboring streets, uh, the north-south streets, as well as uh, 6th and 8th, where, where folks can also park. Uh, so it's not so much a loss as it's just moving where that activity happens. Um, so, you know, I think uh, the short answer for me is um, I still think we need to be doing more to uh, prioritize transit, pedestrian uh, access, and, and bicycling uh, per our comprehensive plan and transportation plan uh, than we've always done at the city. Um, but uh, such as, uh, you know, an elected body um, and elected officials working together uh, with diverse viewpoints on things, um, you know, working towards uh, uh, our, our visions and goals over time. We'll say Matt's been very diplomatic there. I think uh, there was quite a debate about whether to build that garage and just how to build that garage. And it did wind up um, with the construction that you now see. Uh, wanted to uh, to follow up with you, Matt, about trans transportation demand management. You, you know, the term uh, sort of slipped off your tongue very uh, smoothly there, but I think I'd like to have a definition of that from you. Well, sure. Uh <laughs> Again, I would say uh, probably the planning and, and uh, transportation experts on the call probably have a better ready uh, at hand definition than I would. But I would say um, you're trying to manage the demand side of, of transportation. So 
Whereas providing new supply infrastructure like the seven line, that would be a supply side type of uh, investment. But the demand side uh, looks kind of at the existing network and use patterns that you have and tries to incentivize or prioritize um, the modes that reflect our values and our adopted plans. So uh, that can look like a lot of things. At the city of, of Bloomington, for instance, for a number of years now, there's been discussion of having what's called a parking cash out policy. So right now, um, everybody just sort of has the ability to get a parking permit to park at City Hall uh, for, for next to nothing um, if you work there. But if you are someone who takes the bus or, or uh, walks or bikes to work, that is not a benefit um, that you get to avail yourself to. So if you choose not to have um, or, or use a car or need a parking space, then you can get that cash benefit instead. And things like that, that shift um, the demand for different modes of transportation uh, both within the government sector, but also partnering with um, uh, folks in the business community to to try to shift uh, behavior again in line with um, the directions that we're trying to go per our adopted plans. Beth Rosenberger, do you have anything to add to that about transportation demand management? Um, no, I think that I think that's a good overview. It's something the city is pursuing. There's a new transportation demand management position that was just added. And so I think that's on our radar at the city and that's something we'll be seeing more of. Okay, what would that, what will that position, um, will, it, will it be someone who's going to study the, the issue? Good question. So, um, well, yes, plus implementing programs. So we, the city um, had a transportation demand management plan put together um, during COVID now, I keep messing up when things happened. I believe that got approved like a year ago uh, or not approved. I'm sorry. It was kind of um, adopted via resolution with council. And so that plan laid out a lot of programs that the city can pursue, both as an employer, uh, as us as city hall, and then as city throughout uh, the whole community. So that position will be leading and implementing the many recommended programs from the transportation demand management plan. Austin, do you have any, anything to add to that in, in terms of, you know, a, a big urban community like you're in? No, I think that was a, a pretty solid explanation of transportation demand management, um, as well as, as parking cash out, which uh, has proven to be a very effective policy throughout the United States. And I'm, I'm thrilled to see uh, the city of Bloomington pursuing that. Okay. Can you talk about, uh, about the uh, Indianapolis strategy for trying to, you know, I know downtown Indianapolis can be a, a very busy place and there are a lot, of, a lot of parking garages, some privately owned. I, I don't, I don't know about the ownership of the garages downtown, but how are you trying to, incentivize people to be able to take more mass transit downtown or to be even be able to bike downtown? Mm -hmm. uh, most of our, our parking garages in downtown are privately owned. Uh, there are not very, I can't think of any off the top of my head that are owned by the city of Indianapolis or Marion County. Uh, currently, I think our, our best options for encouraging individuals to take mass transit um, is one working with various employers, which I know our transit agency um, is currently doing, uh, as well as providing better service, which is part of the Marion County Transit Plan. Um, and we have found that as we increase frequency of service and pro uh, provide infrastructure changes to uh, make transit service faster and more reliable, uh, there is a dramatic increase of public transit usage. So I want to ask you and Lou both to talk about transit usage you know, during a time of a pandemic, I mean, I, I, I'm sure that that created additional challenges for you. Lou, why don't you go first? Yeah, the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has uh, really been unparalleled. Uh, really, no one saw this coming. Uh, there's been no playbook for how to navigate through the pandemic. Um, so it, it, it's been uh, unexpected and uh, we're, we're, we've often been making decisions on the fly during the process there. And, um, but, uh, you know, I, I, and I say this, um, uh, social distancing and mass transit aren't very compatible terms. Um, 
you know, mass transit is, is trying to move large numbers of people together. And uh, again, that doesn't work very well in the midst of a pandemic. And we've certainly seen the impacts of the pandemic here at Bloomington Transit. Uh, you know, our transit ridership uh, students represent about two thirds of our total ridership. And when the university made the decision to go to an online class format about a year ago, uh, that greatly impacted the numbers of student riders that were using Bloomington Transit and also Indiana University employees who are, are big users of, of Bloomington Transit being the largest employer in town. And uh, so that greatly impacted our transit ridership um, we've, we've been seeing about 20% of normal uh, on a typical weekday. We're running about 20% of what we would have been running a year ago if, if there was no pandemic in place. And, and that's not unique to Bloomington Transit. Uh, all transit systems in the country and, and around the world, for that matter, are being greatly impacted uh, by the pandemic. And... Uh, it's, it's going to take a while, I think, for, for people to adjust and to change and until we get back to some sense of normalcy within our society, uh, I think transit ridership is going to, to suffer. Austin, what do you do to bring that back? It's a very good question. Uh, and, and right now, there are so many unknowns that it's, it's kind of hard to say. It really depends on uh, industry response. Um, I think each city and region is unique, uh, and there, it really depends on uh, each agency's service structure. I think agencies that uh, are currently structured to serve commuters um, are going to continue to suffer the most, um, but ag agencies that focus more on community connections and facilitating the other trips that are not for commuting, places getting to uh, entertainment, the doctor, educational opportunities, uh, so on and so forth, um, may fare better in the long run. All right. If you want to join us on the program today, we're talking about transportation issues uh, in the short term and the long term for Bloomington and Indianapolis. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. You can send us questions there. And you can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. Lou, I wanted to ask you just about the future of transit, because I know as we had done a lot of reporting on the route optimization study and some changes you all were thinking about, and then COVID happened. So where does that stand? And what do you think about any sort of route changes, given that ridership, I, I think it's fair to say, is in flux? Yeah, great question. Uh, a year ago, we had wrapped up our route optimization study, as you mentioned there, and uh, we were uh, kind of in the home stretch preparing for implementation of a number of service changes that affected almost every route in our system. And then the pandemic hit in mid-March last year, and very quickly it was apparent that uh, this was going to be with us for a while. And so our, our board of directors, our policymaking body made the difficult decision that, you know, we need to postpone implementation of these service changes until we can have a better idea of what the future is, is going to be. And now the pandemic has, has persisted for a year and it, it, it's apparent it's going to go on a little bit longer here. So there's still a lot of uncertainty as to uh, when we move forward with these changes, we're starting to see some improvement in the number of new cases. And uh, just here in the last week or two, we, we're seeing the numbers start to tick up again in terms of uh, COVID-19 new cases. And that's a little troubling there. There's, there's some talk about a, maybe a fourth wave that might impact the country. But on the, on the more optimistic side, more and more people are uh, taking the vaccine, and uh, it's now available to all adults in our community, age 16 and older. So I, I think that has a lot of promise to help protect people, and hopefully we will soon be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel with, with regard to getting back to normal. 
but we're, we're not quite there yet. And in, until we can kind of see that light at the end of the tunnel, I, you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty as to what next steps are. Right now, I think it's probably unlikely that we're going to implement these service changes this year. It, it may be next year uh, before we do that. I want to bring um, both uh, Matt Flaherty and, and Beth Rosenbarger in again to talk about uh, the seven line. Because I guess my question is, and I'll, I'll ask Beth first, and then Matt, you can follow up. Is you know what kind of what kind of measures will you have, or what kind of metrics will you have? to say, you know, three years down the road or, or, you know, a year after this is fully implemented, whether it's been successful. I mean, what are the, what are the data points you're looking at to try to say, you know, we've increased bike ridership or we've decreased single cars or, you know, what are you, what are you looking at? That's a great question. Thank you. So we have the ability to look at bicycle counts. We have existing bicycle counters on seventh street and those are permanently installed in the street. So with bicycle use along that street, we'll be able to have uh, before and after data as to um, how many people we see bicycling on that street every day. With transit, we would be looking at transit ridership along the corridor. And I think we would uh, we'll definitely connect with Lou and Bloomington Transit also about um, bus timing because I know sometimes there are challenges along that corridor. So de- our first round would definitely be about use and usage of the street for people walking, um, people bicycling, which we can track with numbers, and people using transit, which we can track with numbers. And then I think we'll see some Uh, we'll look more toward quality of life as well. So how are people using the corridor? How do residents and businesses interact with it? And uh, we'll want to check in with people who live and work along that corridor to see what it, what that looks like for them. And I'll add additionally, this is the first phase of the project. The whole plan will be 7th Street from Adams to 446. So this is a major east-west connection throughout the community. The design will vary uh, according to the context of the space, but we will be making this a major east-west connection. And it was funded with a bicentennial bond, which is really exciting. So we plan to keep tracking it and see how this gift to the future um, keeps paying off for our community now and in the future. You already have a couple of bike lanes that that and a pedestrian path that goes around the auditorium, right? Yes. So the part along campus, um, we will be working with IU, but the part from Woodlawn to Union of 7th Street belongs to IU, but they already have that great connection on the north side of the auditorium that you just uh, described, Bob. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Matt, uh, what will the council be looking at? Uh, you know, I, I think that does a great job, uh, Mr. Rosenberger did, in describing um, kind of the the particular metrics one would look at with the seven line specifically. Um, when I think of the role of council and and how we fit into this type of uh, planning and visioning, it's it's always at, at kind of more of a systems level. Uh, so zooming out a little bit, uh, thinking about our plans, uh, thinking about our goals of, yes, uh, shifting what modes people use to uh, get around, whether it's uh, to their jobs or other cultural and, and basic amenities like grocery stores. So we're trying to reduce single occupancy vehicle use. We're trying to increase uh, the share of people that are walking, biking, and taking transit to where they're going. And, you know, the research is very clear and very good on this, uh, that to attract new users um, and increase that mode share, specifically with biking, for instance, you need to have safer, high comfort facilities. Uh, It's a very small percentage of people uh, who would feel comfortable biking in the existing bike networks that we have. Uh, a striped lane on the ground or, or some uh, what are called share rows, uh, sort of share the road type of indications are, are really just not, you're not going to get past this certain very low threshold of, of users. So this type of infrastructure is critical to us meeting our goals of increasing mode share of more sustainable modes. And all of that is critical to meeting our climate goals. Um, we are uh, part of the We Are Still In delegation on the Paris Agreement. And of course, the U.S. as a, as a whole is now back into that agreement. Uh, transportation emissions are the biggest sector of emissions, both in the U.S. and locally here in Bloomington. They make up 27% of our greenhouse gas emissions. 
Uh, so we, to move in a more sustainable direction, of course, electrification of vehicles and things like that will help over time, but it's also lower cost, more equitable, and really crucial that increased uh, bicycle, uh, pedestrian, and transit uh, users um, are part of that equation. So I think that's kind of the, the systems context, and this is an important piece. Austin, I'll ask you a similar question about uh, Indianapolis and Marion County. And what what are the uh, what are the data points that you look at, and can you point to some successes that you've had in in uh, recent years? Yeah, absolutely. And and first of all, I I actually want to commend uh, my friends down in Bloomington on their work uh, on the Southern Line. It provides some really strong, meaningful connections uh, in the town or in the city of Bloomington. Um, and I think that it's uh, a very uh, exciting uh, project, and I look forward to seeing it uh, roll out. Uh, in the city of Indianapolis, um, we put a lot of effort into community engagement and input and doing a lot of data-driven analysis. Um, so when we look at where we think there are really broad infrastructure needs for bicycling, public transit, pedestrian improvements, um, we take a look at where there are existing uh, high rates of crashes, where there may be uh, what we call uh, dis or uh, communities of concern, which have disproportionately high populations of maybe those who are either too young to drive or maybe they're elderly, have higher concentrations of individuals who um, are differently abled uh, or have uh, zero car households or are in poverty. Um, but we also want to make sure that what we do provides a, a, a transportation system that is safe um, that is comfortable and really provides those meaningful connections to neighborhood centers and job centers um, and really serves as that connective tissue between uh, uh, neighborhoods to one another uh, and to uh, opportunities for employment. Um, I do want to say that uh, I think one of the, the, the most recent major successes um, uh, has been the cultural trail um, where we really provided this dense network of safe and comfortable bikeways uh, into the city center um, that has dramatically improved bike usage uh, into downtown. Um, and also, uh, while it's still very, very young, um, and we've been, the agency has been working through a pandemic, uh, the Red Line BRT is also now in our top three uh, busiest bus routes throughout the 800 miles of bus routes that we have in the 404 square mile area of Marion County. I wanted to ask if there, and I don't know if, if there's a good answer to this, but are there characteristics of certain neighborhoods where this connectivity has worked better than others? I mean, are there, are there you know, characteristics of the neighborhoods themselves? Yeah, I, I, if you're referring to, say, the built environment, um, neighborhoods that are more walkable, denser, um, have things that are probably mixed uses that are in closer proximity to one another. Um, those tend to have a, a higher degree of pedestrian and bike usage and transit usage as, uh, as transportation than, say, uh, a neighborhood that uh, is out on the edge, doesn't have sidewalks, uh, and is typically comprised of exclusively single-family houses on cul-de-sacs. Right. Um, if we're talking more about demographics, um, we do tend to find that neighborhoods that are of lower income um, maybe can't afford a second car or can't afford a car at all. Um, these are neighborhoods that are heavily reliant on public transportation, walking and bicycling as transportation um, because they are so low cost and have the opportunity to provide uh, a degree of accessibility that they may not otherwise be able to have. I know Sarah has a question, but I wanted to follow up with uh, my Bloomington colleagues about, about what Austin just said. Um, some of the neighborhoods, um, in Bloomington are lower income and people don't have a second car. How does, you know, how will this plan? I know the seven, the seven line will go further West, uh, but also just how, how are you addressing the issue of trying to make sure to get uh, these connections into neighborhoods that are perhaps lower income than the East side neighborhood that this one is going to in the first phase? I'll start with that. Um, I think that's a great question. And it's something we're just constantly looking at demographics as we make transportation plans and look which to which projects we can implement. So population density is one big factor that Austin mentioned that we have to 
when we're focusing on transit, look at areas where there are enough people who will be served by it. But additionally, we do want to look at um, where we have our communities of concern to make and improve connections. So I would just say we use that as a tool into into viewing what projects we have in our transportation plan and into viewing which projects we are implementing. Um, And in particular, there are, oh, I forget, it's almost like 10% of households or 8% of households in Bloomington have no car. And there are more households in Bloomington with zero or one car than there are households with two or more vehicles. So this is a lot of our community. And the more that we can continue to build an entire network, the more we are serving um, all residents and especially communities of concern because each segment is worthwhile and is a really important piece, but a network of connectivity is worth more than the sum of its parts. And so we're trying to work on both in terms of where we prioritize those investments and then uh, building out a network that can really help to serve people. Matt, could you talk about some of the other areas in town that, you know, if you look at a map, what are the other areas that really could use improved connectivity? Uh, sure. I, you know, I think um, the style of, of um, development from about post-World War II until the last few decades has certainly created some real challenges for connectivity. Um, you know, everywhere in this country, we kind of got away from the traditional gridded street network and to this more kind of podular um, or suburban perhaps development style with with large arterial streets um, that uh, carry a lot of traffic uh, because because it's collecting traffic from uh, you know um, areas with with cul-de-sac streets or without good internal connectivity Uh, so yeah the context changes a lot and if we're going to look at um, you know Bloomington isn't a real big city in terms of its uh, just a geographic footprint. You know it's a few miles across uh, north, south, or east, west. So in theory, it's accessible. You know, um, uh, walking and biking and, and with transit. But it's kind of the connections that are tricky. Uh, so I think in you know some of the um, we have to be really strategic about how we use things like parks uh, for transportation purposes. Certainly, the B line is a great example of that. Um, but we've got additional uh, connections coming through the RCA park area near Broadview, for instance, that will uh, be yet another connector to an area that will develop with more housing um, and connects to some existing housing. Uh, so we can use those types of opportunities uh, for multi-use paths, for parks to, to help build out a network. I think that's really critical. And I'll just echo that I think, yes, the, the social equity component of, of all of our um, transportation projects is incredibly important. I know that's a, a uh, a lens that city staff and city council both use in looking at uh, f- what to fund and, and where to put projects. Um, it's it's increasingly been uh, central to how we prioritize sidewalk funding and and how um, these types of decisions are made. I would imagine the same is true for for transit as well. I'd like to follow up on that one really quickly. I sort of even made the classic transportation mistake when answering the question. So we tend to focus on the transportation network when we talk about these connections. But the other important factor um, about really helping provide connectivity throughout our community is that it's also where people live. So that depends on what housing is available and, and where people can afford to live. And that is part of our strategy at the city as well. We really, there are lots of great walkable places in Bloomington and allowing housing and allowing a greater diversity of people to live in different areas of our community is another tool in transportation. So usually with housing, we try to talk about the cost of housing plus the cost of transportation. And that's true for everybody. And especially if you're lower income, if you can pay a little bit more for housing, but then spend a lot less on transportation, it's a much better situation. So that is one of our strategies as well to really increase the diversity of housing options and allow people to live in areas that are already well-served and already walkable. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for bringing that up, uh, Beth. Uh, housing is certainly a big issue. We've had shows on it before, and I'm sure we'll have more shows on it in the future. If you have a question or a comment about uh, transportation planning for Bloomington, Indianapolis, or anywhere else, I'm sure our guests would answer those as well. 
Um, you can send us questions on Twitter at Noon Edition. You can also send us questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. I want to bring uh, Austin and Lou back in to talk about the um, President Biden's new commitment to an infrastructure plan. He's announced a very large infrastructure plan, which includes everything from, I would, I would assume, from bus funding uh, to streets and highways to um, broadband and railroads and everything else. So what do you hope for, Lou, in terms of um, additional funding for bus services? Yeah, thanks for making that point, Bob. Um, we're, we're really excited about the prospects for a once-in-a-generation infrastructure bill for transportation. Um, I, I think everyone would agree in this country we have perhaps the best roads and highway network anywhere. Uh, uh, and uh, But it requires the ability to own a car and to be able to afford to maintain it and, and operate it. And as, as was just said by the previous, in the previous discussion, um, not everyone has the ability to afford and, and own and operate a car. So it's important that alternative means of transportation are provided. And um, public transportation is one of those ways that people get around, ways that they have mobility. Uh, to go to the grocery store, to access medical services, or to get an education there. And in our country, as I said, we have some of the best road and highway networks, but our public transportation systems tend to be really third class or second class compared to what you see in the rest of the world. And uh, there's no doubt that the automobile has a major impact on our environment. Uh, it, it's contributing to climate change uh, and the warming of our climate. And so there, there's better ways that we can use our public resources to facilitate travel with, within our nation. The President Biden's infrastructure plan, uh, we're just starting to hear some of the details about it, but from everything we're hearing, it's going to have much more focus on alternative modes of travel, such as public transportation. And uh, that to us is exciting. That, that There's the real prospect or, or potential for increased public investment in our transit systems around this country. And so that we can become, uh, you know, a more balanced transportation system where we can provide transportation access to people regardless of their ability to afford a car there. So, so again, we're really excited. We think it has a lot of potential to improve public transportation in the U.S. and bring us up to par with what we see in the rest of the developed world. So, Lou, you could dream a little bit. So, you get a big check from uh, for the infrastructure plan. Um, what would be your priorities for using it? more buses do you is the size of bus um the right size i mean what what would you want to spend it on well i think first and for, foremost we want to improve the quantity and the level of service transit service that we're providing in the community for example you know we we have very little sunday service we we have bus routes that run on 60 minute frequencies there's areas of our community that have no public transportation. So we want to beef up our service. We, we want to provide service seven days a week, uh, many hours during the day, into, including late into the evening. Uh, we, we want to serve areas that don't have any transit service. And we want to provide frequencies that will be attractive to people that, that will encourage them to, to use public transportation. And it, it, so, so those are the operating costs that go with improving transit. There's also a capital cost that goes with that. And as you mentioned, we would, we would have to grow and expand our bus fleet uh, and our facilities in order to provide that service. 
Austin, a similar question to you. If you look at the infrastructure plan, you know, what, what's on your wish list for the city of Indianapolis? Yeah, um, the infrastructure plan is, is very exciting. Um, and I, I tell you what, this is my, my first week as the Transportation Planning Administrator for Indianapolis, and I've really hit the ground running uh, with this uh, plan dropping on Tuesday, day two. Uh, but I, I think there's some po- uh, unanswered policy questions um, that would make to my wish list, and we just don't know the details yet. Um, some of it is very exciting, like two new identified Amtrak corridors that would provide uh, new meaningful frequent connections to Louisville, Cincinnati, and Chicago from Indianapolis. Um, I think one of the big unanswered questions is if uh, some of those transit dollars could be used for operations uh, in the larger cities. Uh, the federal government has not funded operations of transit services uh, above a certain threshold uh, in terms of population for cities uh, that Indianapolis is well above uh, since the 1980s. So we've been entirely reliant on local funding sources uh, to run frequent service. Uh, and in a city like Indianapolis, which is very reliant on the service sector, uh, which has taken a huge hit uh, and uh, income tax revenues to fund our transit operations. Um, there's a, a, a big need uh, to fill that gap that, uh, after we've been hit from COVID-19. Um, so I, I, I'd le- I think I would reiterate the, uh, the wish list of prov- having more local dollars, not only for capital improvements um, to achieve our accessibility and sustainability goals, uh, but also to uh, to our local transit agencies so they can provide better service uh, to our various neighborhoods as we come out of the pandemic. All right, I, I want to question cl- really for all of you and, and Lou, maybe you can start, but just what are some of the obstacles you face in getting people to use public transit? I mean, certainly now there's COVID, but even even before that, what are some of the ongoing issues that people might have that make them reluctant? Well, I I think the number one issue is convenience. Um, When you can get in your car and drive directly to where it is you're going and and do it in, you know, very expedient manner and versus uh, getting on a bus and it might take twice as long to get from point A to point B you can understand how people are going to be more attracted to using a car as opposed to mass transit there. So, um, and a lot of times transit systems, their dollars are so limited, they're trying to be all things to all people. And in doing so, their services sometimes aren't very direct. uh, They're not very streamlined. And it can take a lot longer to get from point A to point B on transit. So, Anything that we as, as transit operators can do that makes our service more convenient and more comfortable, I, I think is gonna go a long ways in, in getting people to use mass transit. Austin, you have anything to add? Yeah, I, I, uh, I share those sentiments uh, as it relates to uh, frequency of service and convenience. Um, and also there we just, uh, a lot of transit agencies and transportation departments in general um, face a challenge as it relates to uh, the legacy of decades of policy that have really put uh, suburban development uh, and uh, the speed of motor vehicles at the forefront of housing and transportation policy uh, nationwide. So things like parking minimums, uh, and uh, performance metrics on streets and highways that measure how quickly uh, motor vehicles can travel versus any other uh, method of transportation um, has really given uh, quite the challenge to any agency that's looking towards moving uh, the broader population to using public transportation, bicycling or walking as transportation. All right, we have just about two minutes to go. I wanted to, uh ask Beth if you could sort of start on the west end of the seven line and tell us what it's going to look like when it's fully built out. Sure. So the portion that we're building right now is the part I can describe. So the real west end of it is over by Adams, but the starting point for this phase is at the B line. So um, it will look like a 
you think of a protected bike lane mostly as a sidewalk for bicyclists. So it's about at a, most of the time 10 feet wide, there'll be a little line down the middle. So you know which lane to be in when you're a bicyclist that you stay on the right because it's uh, both directions of travel. And the bicycle facility will be separated from the street with a median. Um, there are some breaks in the median for uh, several of the driveways along the corridor. Although we've worked with property owners to really minimize those and we've really appreciated the efforts of our, um, our neighbors in doing that. So from the B line, you'll start out in your 10 plus foot bike lane. You've got the median and you've got both travel lanes for motor vehicles on the other side of that. And really it just continues in that format with the main difference being the width of the median uh, as it goes from the B line all the way to Woodlawn. And along that route, you'll see um, several bus islands. And when you, when bicyclists approach the bus island, sometimes the bicycle lane narrows a little bit and there's a little bit of a speed bump in there in order to provide a really good connection for pedestrians from the sidewalk to the bus island and to provide a clue, uh, just a design element to tell bicyclists to be cautious because you have to yield to pedestrians crossing that facility as they enter the bu uh, the bus island. Um, All right. Without Thanks. a visual, I think that's the best that's, I can you, do for you've now. Done a great, you've yeah. done a great job. <laughs> and it's going to start at Adams and ultimately it'll end all the way out at 446 or uh, 46, right? Uh, yes, Ultim that's correct. Ultimately, and, yeah, all three phases. Yeah, yes. And, you know, is inspired by the B-Line because that has been so successful. And in transportation, we talk about induced demand, which is mostly if you build it, they will come. And it's mainly talked about in the negative because we've continued, we, the United States, to expand highways, and that has not solved congestion, but just attracted more users but the flip side is when we build really good, comfortable and safe walking, bicycling and transit facilities, we also induce demand. We've seen that from the B line, which is a major success. And so we're excited to see what, um, what this project brings for our community and what type of demand it induces, both all for walking, bicycling and transit as well. All right. That's a great answer. And that's the last time, last answer we have time for today. I want to thank you, uh, Beth Rosenbarger, Planning and Services Manager for the City of Bloomington. Also, Lou May, General Manager of Bloomington Transit, Matt Flaherty, a Bloomington City Council Member, and Austin Gibble, Transportation Planning Administrator for Indianapolis. For producer Benta Boutier and engineer um, today, we have engineer Aaron Kane on with us. For Sarah Whitmire, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Production support comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. <laughs>